Hello, and welcome to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the topic of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm Nate Mancini. I'm one of the founders of Forefront, and I'm here with my friend Rich Chrisman. Hello. How are you doing, Rich? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well as well, and I'm excited that it is now the Christmas season. We are here with one final episode of Forefront 360 for the year 2019, and I hope that it is a, uh, a festive episode for you as we uh, celebrate the holidays and close out the year. Merry Christmas to all. Indeed. And so uh, Rich and I each have some, some brief uh, sets of, of art that we want to, to talk about today. Uh, art that we've been consuming and are eager to share with you. And for, for mine, I wanted to kind of look back on some films that I've seen recently and uh, talk about how I found them impactful. And so I have three movies I wanted to discuss. Um, I don't want to review them in detail, but I want to just talk about uh, what, what is kind of the film on its surface about, but then what's kind of a deeper theme that us as Christians um, can watch this film and, and find interesting and compelling and worthy of further conversation. So the first film that I wanted to talk about, which I saw recently, is Knives Out, uh, which is directed by Ryan Johnson and is uh, currently out in theaters. came out on November 27th. And that stars uh, Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, and Anna de Armas. And it's, it's really a, a fantastic film. I put out a, a brief review on, on Facebook. I think it's, a, it's, it's kind of a whodunit mystery film. And so if you're into the mystery genre, you'll, you'll certainly enjoy it. And if you're a fan of any of the lead actors um, like Daniel Craig or Chris Evans, it's fun to see them uh, in a new role. So, you know, on the surface, it's, it's very much uh, a mystery film. Well-directed, well-acted, lots of fun. Uh, I think it's a, it's a fun uh, film to see with, with friends or family around the holidays. But um, there's a, a deeper theme here that I wanted to discuss, which is that a lot of the characters in the film are, are part of this very uh, wealthy family that has kind of this, this patriarch who's built this empire. And, and one of the things you see is that all of all of this family kind of has this expectation of the inheritance that they're going to get from this this patriarch and there's this sense of power that they have based on the 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 money and the authority that they get from this family that they're a part of and it, it reminds me kind of like um the older brother in in the prodigal son where He's like this brother who feels like he's done all the right things and he's like owed by his father um, to have this inheritance. And what you see in the film is that, that some characters learn that they might not get their inheritance um, and it makes them deeply angry uh, and, and they are um, very dis distraught that like they might not have this thing that they feel that they deserve. It's kind of a classic whodunit setup, I guess. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's um, it's this kind of a, a classic plot line, but I think it's it's so interesting to think about uh, the, the things that we kind of expect to have and feel that we deserve um, when, when in fact what we have is actually a gift and um, it's, it are, are not things that we deserve. And so I think it's, it's interesting to look at our own lives in regards to this and say, like, wh what are the things that I'm given, things that I have that 
Uh, I would be like deeply angry if I lost them when in fact um, I don't deserve them. They're actually you know here for for the good of others and for the glory of God. So I think that's an interesting lesson that comes out of that and and uh, something that's worth meditating on. And so if you see that movie, I hope that that can be a fruit for some further conversation. Now the next film I want to talk talk about um, also came out recently. It came out on November twenty second. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And, I saw that one. Yes, yeah. and it is uh, about Mister Rogers uh, of Mister Rogers Neighborhood fame, and it's directed by Marielle Heller. Stars Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers, and it stars uh, Matthew Rice as Lloyd Vogel, who's a reporter who is uh, looking into Fred Rogers um, as a hero and kind of asking the question like, "What is a hero, and is Fred Rogers a hero?" And, um, I mean, I, I guess I'll ask you, Rich, uh, what did you think of this movie? Um, it actually was very different than I expected. So I, um, I've i been a, a not like a lifelong fan of Mr. Rogers, but I actually came to being a fan of Mr. Rogers as a college student. Mm-hmm. So, but, so it's been a while that I've been a fan. But um, I um, saw the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Right. Um, was which awesome. was yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. I, uh, I I was living in Pittsburgh at the time, so I was literally in the Squirrel Hill Manor Theater, which is like right up the street from where Fred Rogers lived, oh, and it was just a really emotional experience. And I was I went with a couple friends, and uh, they made fun of me because I teared up multiple times. Um, so out. yeah, so I loved the documentary, and I was I was uh, and hopefully I'm not steamrolling what you're about to say, but oh. I. Uh, I was expecting to be equally moved, uh, if not more, in this like narrative form of the Mr. Rogers story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really look too much into it in advance, but I was also expecting to get more of like a life story of Fred Rogers, which yeah. is not what um, the Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood no, is. No. Um, so I was I was a little bit. Um, it was different than I expected, but I enjoyed the movie a lot, and I enjoyed Tom Hanks' performance a lot. He's and, so good. Yeah, absolutely. And it was really interesting to me that uh, he, for the first couple minutes, if I ever like close my eyes, I would just see like Woody from Toy Story, <laughs> uh, you know, because that's Tom Hanks' voice is Woody to me. But um, but after a few minutes, like I had, I pretty much, you know, I had put the Woody aside, and I really enjoyed his performance. Uh, and I think the story with. Um, the Vogel family, really, um, yeah. you know, without spoiling anything, I think that added like a really, what's the term? Um, it really like put Fred Rogers in a different context than we're used to thinking about him in, yes. where we think about him strictly on the set of Make Believe or in his house in the in the children's show. And I think seeing him kind of outside of the show, um, as the film shows us, was pretty cool. Right. Yeah, you got to see like who he was as a person, um, even when he wasn't on screen. Right, and that was kind of a, a neat point of the movie was that he kind of was the same person on and off screen. Yeah. That like he didn't kind of have like a TV personality, which was infuriating but, yeah. to Vogel. Yeah, which is one of the points. Right, yeah, it's interesting. you're right because the the reporter kind of assumes that he's going to uncover some like dark underbelly mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to Fred Rogers as he finds with everyone else that he yeah. looks into deep enough. Um, you know, everybody has a secret kind of thing. But uh, he doesn't really find it with, with Fred Rogers. Um, he finds actually just uh, a wonderful man who cares about him. 
and uh, it's it's kind of this this beautiful surprise. So, um, one of the the kind of deeper themes I found in this movie is is again um, in Knives Out I talked about the the theme of anger due to misplaced expectations. In this film, it's this uh, this character of Lloyd Vogel has just anger about his past and about um, the way that his his family failed him and. Um, and he has kind of these these wounds that are following him around, and it's it's something that he's not not willing to let go of. And so his time with Mister Rogers is very disarming to him. Um, he it's almost like he's in being with Mister Rogers. He's kind of robbed of his anger. Um, he he's like he's robbed of of any um, reason that he had to, to, to be angry, and, and he's, like, encouraged to let go of it. So that's very much the, the plot of the movie. Um, and it just, the way that the way that Fred Rogers and, and the way Tom Hanks plays him is, is just being so caring about even people that he doesn't know well. Um, the fact that he just values every human life and every person he talks to, he's willing to like give them the time of day and and actually focus on them and speak to them and care about them as a person um, is is a really kind of beautiful and humbling thing. So I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I I found it moving, and I I think that that it's worth checking out mm-hmm. um, for not only for just learning about Mister Rogers, but it's a I think it's also just a moving story of. Um, of, of love and redemption and of letting go of anger. And the final film I wanted to talk about is a film that you may have heard about called The Irishman, which is directed by Martin Scorsese, and it just recently came out. It, well, it had a limited theatrical run, I believe starting in September, and it released on Netflix on November 27th. So it's now streaming on Netflix. And uh, again, directed by Martin Scorsese, stars Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci, uh, some of Martin Scorsese's favorite actors <laughs> from, from the past, and he's, he's brought them all into this kind of ensemble film. And there's a lot to say about this movie, there's a lot of commentary going on about it, because uh, I think being on Netflix, it's very accessible to people, and so people are eager, eager to watch it. Um, famous director, famous actors. Um, so if you're into you know Scorsese's movies or you're a fan of the work of those actors, it may be worth checking out for that reason. Um, but just thematically, I think there's a lot of interesting things going on. Isn't it like three and a half hours long? It is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very long film. Yeah. Uh, and it probably could have been a shorter film. But, uh, you know, in some ways, Scorsese just got to do exactly what he wanted and and there definitely is benefit in that it's it's very much a slow burn kind of movie (laughs) and um probably a good thing that you can watch it in the comfort of your home but um so scorsese has has made some some films in the past films like uh goodfellas and and wolf of wall street that that um are in in some ways critiques of like uh, the mob and critiques of um, lavish wealth and things like that, but in, but the way that he did it in films like that, there's an element of um, almost glamorizing it where you mm-hmm. feel like, well, yes, like these are mobsters and they're obviously bad people, but man, it seems like they were also kind of cool or like mm-hmm. they had a kind of swagger to them or like. 
they were almost like darkly heroic or or at the very least hey it seems like they kind of had some fun and, and stuff like that and so those films have been I think divisive uh, because they can be viewed in multiple ways right they can be viewed as as a as a critique of of the mob and of uh, misusing wealth and power or they could be viewed as kind of glamorizing those things this film though is different in a in a way um the irishman is is kind of a story of of this uh this man's descent uh into being part of the mob and being kind of roped into that uh, but it's done in such a way that it doesn't glamorize it. It actually kind of stays at a distance and and just makes you feel makes you feel sad about it. It's it's actually kind of a tragic story, um, but but not tragic in a way that uh, that makes you feel disgusted so much as just like you you like mourn it. You mourn uh, his loss of conscience and uh, his his uh giving into sin Hmm. so i think that that's just a theme that is is worth considering in this movie because with the main character you see how he has a conscience and even you know the more that he gets into the mob and gets these these tasks um you know tasks to kill people and stuff like that and how he kind of just ends up carrying them out but you can tell inside how conflicted he is and how he kind of knows what's right and wrong but once he's gone down the road so far it's almost like he he just knows he can't turn back he kind of has mm. just this this fatalistic mentality about it and there's a line in the film they just say it is what it is mm. and it's kind of like yeah this person has to die it is what it is and that's just like that's almost like the the line that you can hear in his own head that it just it is what it is um like this is what i've chosen this is my life this is my lot i have to do this um and so there's there's a real tragedy about that and so i think uh just as as christians it's worth um looking at that and and thinking about it um and and in our own hearts like how uh, we can sear our own consciences um, how sin can have a power over us to kind of say like, oh, there's um, there's no way out, um, but then also to know that in fact there there is a way out, and that uh, that doesn't have to be the final word, and that that's that that's a lie that that we're um, trapped, and that in fact there's you know there is a way um, to to get out of that mentality, to get out of that cycle, and uh, the question is 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 this character going to do that or not? Um, so I think that that's uh, a worthy a worthy conversation to have coming out of this movie, and it's it's interesting that um, you know you have this very mainstream film by by a, a director who actually um, is a, is a Catholic a Christian and is bringing up these conversations and mm-hmm. these topics. So that's a lot of movies that have come out in just this fall that um, may be worth checking out if you're into those genres. And are gonna, I think, spark some some neat ideas. Let's mention Frozen Two, and no, Frozen Two yeah, as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's crazy. I was just thinking while you're talking that I I had forgotten that Scorsese directed Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. which is crazy that he directed Wolf of Wall Street, and then I think the next movie he directed was Silence. The Silence, yeah, which is like such different so films. Different. Yeah, it just is amazing. Yeah, anyway, and you should watch Silence as well. Oh yeah, Silence is so good. <laughs> Yeah. 
Anyway. So, so Rich, what do you have for us Yeah, today? so shifting gears a little bit, uh, if I was going to talk about the type of art that I've been consuming uh, now in the month of December, I would be remiss to not uh, uh, be honest and say that the vast majority of art that I've been consuming is Christmas music, uh, be that on the radio or on Spotify or... Uh, you know, walking around stores and hearing the same five songs over the loudspeaker, whatever it may be. Tis the um, season. Tis the season. So, um, first plug I'd like to make before I start talking to you guys about my favorite Christmas songs that you should all listen to if you haven't already is um, uh, Forefront, uh, Zach Ozinski, one of our compatriots, put together a uh, fantastic playlist of Christmas music uh, mm-hmm. from his... Um, like personal collection of songs that he uh, thinks are the most impactful and most beautiful for the season. And we have, uh, that is being hosted for us on Spotify. And you can see that on the Forefront Fest Instagram account. There's a highlight that says playlists. You can click that and link through and listen to that playlist. Or you can find it um, on Facebook as well. Uh, the link is there to the Spotify list. So you should check out Zach's. It, I will admit, uh, Zach is much more musically literate than I. And his is probably a lot technically better than mine but um nonetheless i will share with you rich christman's top 10 christmas songs holiday season 2019 nice yeah so um i really dislike countdowns it reminds me of poorly made youtube videos we're like we'll start with number 10 and then move down so i'm not going to do that i'm going to start with number one and tell you what my favorite christmas song is yeah, so this is then, actually your favorite. Yeah, so I'm going to start with favorite. Okay. And, you know, they're all favorites, but, you know, I just want to yeah. start on top here. So uh, my favorite Christmas song to play, and it's probably the first one I play every year, is Hark the Herald Angels Sing, specifically by Nat King Cole. Mm. So I'm sure you've heard this one on the radio. It's a classic. But um, if you don't already love it as much as I do, go whatever wherever music can be heard. And... Um, Listen to Nat King Cole's version of Hark the Herald. It is uh, absolutely beautiful. Um, it's Hark the Herald is theologically sound. It's a beautiful, beautiful song, both musically and lyrically. Uh, it's an absolute classic. It was written by um, Wesley, the reformer. So just like yeah. crazy, uh, you know, how old it is. But... Um, and then someone, my mom actually once described Nat King Cole as having a voice that sounds like maple pancakes, and I'm going to add some hot cocoa in there too, but Nat King Cole's voice is just tremendously smooth. It's amazing. Um, so he's great. And we're actually burning a candle right now that's maple pancakes, so. Wow. I guess. I didn't even make that connection. Maybe, you know. complete. Wow, that's amazing. We should just put them on right now. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I actually have this album, the Nat King Cole uh, Christmas hits on vinyl so i listen to that at home but anyway um cool so then my second uh favorite almost as good as that one is i heard the bells on christmas day and i like the version by the civil wars um if you've heard you may have heard this carol in many forms but the civil wars version i think is particularly beautiful um it has a modern folk uh style to it um kind of a cool like haunting uh, kind of guitar riff that plays through it, which is really cool. And the Civil War is um, harmonized. It's a man and a woman, if you don't know them. And they, uh, it's it's just very beautiful. And if you didn't know, the carol was actually, uh, is a poem that was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow back during the American Civil War. And so there's like a deep history to this particular carol. So 
Um, if you didn't know this, just look it up. Even the Wikipedia page has a ton of like really cool information about um, the poet and like how this carol has uh, how it was inspired and how it's evolved over the years. The lyrics have changed a few times uh, slightly, um, like once in the '60s and again recently, but uh, it retains the same meat, which I think is really cool. That's cool. Yeah, so that's a great one. The Civil Wars are so good. I know. They're great. They they have a couple other Christmas tracks that have come out as singles that are really good as well that you should look at. Nice. Um, I also love, this is, I don't know, it's a hard title to say, but What Child Is This? The Holly and the Ivy Medley <laughs> by Bing Crosby. <laughs> but yeah, you should definitely look that up, that version specifically, the medley, and I'll tell you why. So first of all, in my opinion, even though I... Uh, showered praises on Nat King Cole. I think that Bing Crosby has the best voice of the 20th century. Love Bing Crosby. Ooh. Yeah, I've I've listened to Bing Crosby since I was a little kid. I love him. But anyway, um, and if you don't listen to Bing Crosby's regular stuff, everybody knows him as like the voice of Christmas. So you know, just just is how it is. But anyway, um, so this particular version is great. Uh, he starts with "What Child Is This?" and it's a very like sober. It feels very much like a hymn, you know, when he's starting and singing. And then uh, when he finishes the first couple of verses of What Child Is This, the music picks up and it switches to The Holly and the Ivy, which is a 19th century English carol, um, which is pretty cool. And I like how these two songs are juxtaposed. And you hear Bing Crosby's voice is kind of the same throughout, but you get the music, which is very hymn-like. There's a chorus uh, it sounds kind of an angelic chorus in the beginning of the What Child Is This piece. Then when you get to the Holly and the Ivy bit, it sounds much more like a English carol instrumentation in the background. Mm-hmm. And you get this cool sense of like the evolution of the celebration of Christmas through the centuries. Um, and to me particularly, like my favorite piece of Christmas media besides the Christmas story itself is um, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, which is a 19th century English thing. So it's also kind of an interesting, I don't know if Crosby was thinking this or not, but like when I think about Christmas, I kind of think about the actual Christmas, you know, in in antiquity. And then I often think about like Victorian England as well because of A Christmas Carol. So uh, I just thought that was kind of a cool, uh, so I really appreciate that song. It's kind of very beautiful. Next up, Coventry Carol by Sufjan Stevens. So Coventry Carol is another uh, traditional English carol. Um, has some theology in there as well, but definitely more of a, um, uh, less of a hymn, but still a beautiful song. Uh, and Sufjan Stevens, if you know him, you listen to him, you know he's extremely creative. Uh, this is a very memorable version of the song. It goes with the classic tune of the Coventry Carol, but he adds um, a backup chorus and some interesting folk instrumentation. So it's a very, uh, it's the same but different, but still the same as other versions. So that's a good one. Uh, that's the only Sufjan one I have on the list, even though he's got multiple Christmas albums, but it's a good he's got one. A lot. Yeah. Good guy. Okay, the next one is by John Denver, and it's called A Baby Just Like You. This one is one you will not hear on the radio, most likely. But, um,. It's actually from an album that he recorded with the Muppets called A Christmas Together. But this one has nothing to do with the Muppets at all. Um, it's actually a very personal song that he wrote for his son, Zachary. And it is in the form of a Christmas lullaby. It is a very, very beautiful um, 
kind of acoustic song. Um, it's very, very calming. I have it in a lot of different Christmas playlists that I've made over the years. And whenever this song, A Baby Just Like You, it's called, whenever this song comes on, the, my whole, like, I feel like my whole body just like calms down. Like John Denver has such a soothing voice and it's a lullaby, so it's intended to be soothing. But uh, he sings specifically to his son and how... Um, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world and the creator of the universe, was born a baby just like him. Mm. And it's a very interesting... Um, he like parallels his own son's birth with Christ's birth, and it's it's very beautiful. Um, so look that one up if you haven't spent too much time with the Muppets. Um, <laughs> okay. Next one, not again, not a traditional radio Christmas song. This is Pipes of Peace by Paul McCartney. So this is not explicitly a Christmas song, but the song is inspired by and about the Christmas, the famous Christmas truce in World War I uh, between the British and the Germans. And the song is about the, the pipes of peace. Paul McCartney uh, suggests that if we just, as people, spent more time playing the proverbial pipes of peace instead of fighting wars... Um, all would go better with us but uh this song i don't know something about it cuts through the the fog and it doesn't seem like a standard like you know oh like happy christmas war is over sorry john lennon but um this one i don't know it, just, it does it for me and it does a good job each year inspiring me to kind of carry the spirit of christmas and the peace that is commanded us by christ and um exemplified for us by christ throughout the year and because it's not explicitly a christmas song you can listen to it all year round as well. So that's nice. Pipes of Peace by Paul McCartney. That's also been covered a few times on a Christmas album or two. Um, the next one is Green Grows the Holly, recorded by Calexico. So um, this is really cool. It's a modern kind of folk rendition of a really old carol. Uh, we don't know when the carol was originally written. Like, there's different ideas. But uh, it was written in Old English originally, so we can assume it's from... England, so, uh, but um, super cool. It's kind of similar to the Holly and the Ivy, but older. And it's another one of those uh, old carols that parallels the evergreen quality of um, like Ivy and the Holly leaves, and then also the red of the Holly berry representing the blood of Christ. And I think one thing that's really cool about these older hymns is they um a lot of these older English carols and Christmas hymns do a great job of not just talking about the birth of Christ, but connecting it to, like, the whole gospel. Yeah. So they're like, oh, Christ was born as a baby. A lot of modern songs that are Christian are like, Christ was born as a baby, awesome, God on earth, that's fantastic. But I think the older songs do a better job of, like, bringing it around the whole circle and also saying, like, yeah, this baby will die for the world. And now that I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so that's a fun one. Calexico is the like Southwest Tex-Mex band that often is found playing with iron and wine. So if you may have heard them, if you don't know them already, they're pretty awesome. Um, a couple more to go here. I got um, next one, another Bing Crosby coming in. Uh, this is I Sing Noel by Bing Crosby. I like this one simply because he says... The song is about him singing Noel for children who have nothing on Christmas. Um, they have Their family can't afford a Christmas tree. They have no gifts. Um, they might not have food for Christmas dinner, things like that. And 
as a public school teacher and also a Christian, that really hits me where I live. And every year, whenever I hear that song, it really, uh, I get emotional sometimes when I hear it, especially when I don't see it coming. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, it's amazing, like that we live every day and we don't think about how there are tons of people all around us at any given time that are struggling. And we, it's just so easy for us to forget about that. And even at Christmas, when you get the bell ringer outside and you're like, oh, I should donate to the needy. Like we think about that most likely more during the holiday season than at other times during the year. But even then, like I, I know that I don't do nearly what I should do and nearly what I'm commanded to do in supporting those who have less than me or, and helping those uh, the widow and the orphan and whatnot. So that yeah. that's a good reminder for me. And of course, you mentioned a Christmas Carol, which has that theme as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think kind of actually, I I think about that a lot. Like when I picture like the child who has no Christmas dinner or the child who has no Christmas tree, I often think about like the in the Christmas Carol, like the Cratchit family. Like yeah. they have they have like a joyful Christmas celebration with like the scraps off of you know, the rich is the wealthy people's table Mm -hmm. and like they, you know, but, uh, and I think there's such a great inspiration so I can be inspired by the person who's helping the needy, but also inspired by the needy who are still having a Merry Christmas without the gifts and the giant turkey and all that stuff. And I think that's, that's pretty cool as well. Um, so my last uh, Bing Crosby edition, three out of the ten have Bing Crosby involved, but he is the best. But um, So this is the Peace on Earth Little Drummer Boy medley with Bing Crosby and David Bowie. So this one's on the radio. You probably have heard this. It's a classic. Um, if you haven't watched the video, the, like this song came from a TV special, um, which I can't remember the exact year, but I th- I'm thinking like late 70s, early 80s. And... It is so cool if you watch. You can find it on YouTube really easily. Um, Bing Crosby plays this American guy who's, like, over at his friend's house in the UK. And David Bowie is, like, the neighbor or something. And he comes over. And Bing Crosby at this point is already, like, an older man. And David Bowie doesn't recognize him and doesn't, uh, uh, you know, know who he is, know he's a singer. And Bing Crosby's like, oh, yeah, I sing sometimes, blah, blah, blah. And he doesn't know who he is. And they sing this medley together of... um, Bing Crosby starts singing The Little Drummer Boy, and David Bowie adds new lyrics to this Peace on Earth piece. And it's just a beautiful harmony, um, beautiful song. And it's really cool to see these two completely different generations of artists like working together to deliver a really important message, um, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and I would love to see... I. I wish that we could have pulled this off while David Bowie was still with us, but um, it'd be really... I'd love to see, like, an update of this song um, where either, like, they could add in a, a contemporary artist or maybe have, you know, maybe just do it with two different artists. But I think, um, like, younger kids now don't even know who David Bowie is, so I think, like, we need to update it to keep the spirit going. But that's a good song. Sure. Try that one out. That's Peace on Earth, Little Drummer Boy. Then finally, um, this one... I have to put this in here. I don't know if you ever listened to Mannheim Steamroller, yeah. but gotta put this in there. Uh, I had to pick one Mannheim song. I went with Deck the Halls. So good. Absolutely classic. Um, if you don't know Mannheim Steamroller, they're uh, like kind of like a combination of like 80s synthwave music mixed with classical music. 
Um, and they do well. Interestingly, their radio hits are like these synth classical ones. But if you listen to like their whole Christmas albums in the entirety, a lot of it is actually like Renaissance type music, and which is also really cool. Um, try that out as well. But Deck the Halls, just uh, you know, a total you know arena rock experience in your radio or headphones. But uh, it's really cool. They do the song of Deck the Halls uh, with synths and a, a partial orchestra. And it will get you so amped to deck your own halls and so have an awesome Christmas party. I always start any sort of Christmas party with Mannheim Steamroller. Just get it going. So while that is not the most... If I could only listen to one Christmas song forever, it would be Hark the Herald by Nat King Cole. But check out Mannheim Steamroller, too. So, yeah. Um, Great. Yeah, so there's my ten. Uh, I, I want to put these... I'll put these together in a playlist, and I'll post these up for you guys, too. So look for that out there. And remember, check out Zach's playlist as well. Completely different songs than mine. Uh, definitely a little bit more contemplative than mine, but that's Zach. So it's awesome. What do you think of those, Nate? I think they're fantastic. I hadn't I hadn't heard a lot of them. Oh, cool. Um, I like how each of us has kind of a unique set of songs that that speak to us at Christmas. So, um, though I did have some overlap with Zach, I must I must say, and and I, I certainly listened to Mannheim Steamroller <laughs> and Steve John Stevens. Nice. Um, but yes, these are these are some great picks, and I've just been going through Apple Music and adding them to my library so I can check them out. Nice. So, yeah, check out Rich's. Christmas playlist on Spotify you can find on Instagram or Facebook uh, at our Forefront Festival account check out Zach's playlist um, you can check out in theaters the, the or on Netflix so the movies I mentioned, Knives Out, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and The Irishman we hope that you have a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year we will be returning in 2020 with some great new content, we're excited for more podcast episodes, blog entries and events I think it's going to be a great year. So, thank you. Thanks for being with us. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next year. And to all a good night.